Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Are we warm in here? Hot coffee? Good. It's so good to see you as we gather for worship. Welcome. Whether you're here in person or online, whether you're visiting here or online, welcome. So glad that you're here to worship with this family of God. Uh, before we jump in, I want to go ahead and dismiss our kids for Revolution Kids. All right. We are so glad you guys are here. You got Kaylee and others. Trish, yes. You guys are upstairs. You guys are going to have a, an awesome time. Glad you're here. All right, well, this week we are continuing in our new series for the new year. Started it last week, so week number two, in which we are attempting to kind of cut through the noise that we hear a lot of times during uh, this time of year that tells us we can live our best year ever. We can live our, our best lives now if only we uh, fix all these different things. And these three sort of easy steps that will fix our, our posture, our health, our weight, our complexion, our habits, our focus, you kind of fill in the blank. And while it's always good to have maybe different health goals or different professional goals or personal goals and things like that, uh, our attempt in this series is to kind of cut through the noise and that pressure to simply ask as followers of Jesus Christ, what if instead our, our one focus, our, our goal kind of above all of the others is simply this, to live and to love like Jesus? What if our goal for this year is simply the goal of discipleship, right? It is to grow in Grace to grow in love, to grow in Christ-likeness and holiness. What if that's our focus and our goal this year? And so how do we do that? By loving who Jesus loved, by loving what Jesus loved, by valuing what Jesus valued. So in this series, we're simply looking at a different value of Jesus each week that we see revealed in the Gospels, how Jesus lived his life we don't uh, have his calendar. We don't have his checkbook of how he spent all of his time and all of his money. But we do get a pretty good sense of what he valued in his earthly life, by who he spent time with, by what he did. And we can see maybe what he valued. And so each week we're taking a look at a different value. Uh, last week we started with friendship. Friendship. And we looked at that passage from from John, where it invites us to abide with Jesus. And thank you, Daryl. That new song was beautiful. I think it really captures a, a lot of what we're going for. Because truly, the love and friendship of Jesus as the first value, everything builds upon that and from that. So we see Jesus practice friendship, we said, in three different ways. Friendship with God, friendship with the family of God, and friendship with the forgotten. I talked to several of you this week, you know, we think of friendship of God, that invitation to come and to abide. Your true self is with Christ, hidden in God. It's Jesus who connects us to the Father. That is Jesus' foundational identity, and it is for us as well, right? To first abide with God, relationship with God. Many of you said this week, friendship with the family of God, with one another, that, that probably comes the most easy, we enjoy each other. We enjoy spending time with one another. Maybe that's the easiest for some of us. And after that, friendship with God, we think about our prayer time or our study time. For many of us, you shared, not all, but some, that it's friendship with the forgotten. 
that is sometimes the hardest. Maybe one that we know that we, we need to cultivate more of this year. We need to be more intentional about how to befriend the marginalized, the forgotten in our city. So last week I ended my teaching with kind of a funny story about a bishop that found, wound up in a traffic court. And he was asked a set of questions. Why are you here and where were you going in such a hurry? Kind of funny questions at first until the instructor repeated them and said, don't you know there's only a grave waiting for you at the end of the road? And all of a sudden these questions that this instructor asked this bishop of the church became sort of uh, deep, <laughs> existential even. Why are you here and where are you going in such a hurry? What's your purpose and how are you living and are you living your values well? I've had the opportunity to reflect on these questions kind of personally this week as I attended uh, two funerals, not as pastor, but as friend. It was a mother and a grandmother of two of my closest friends in the world. And so I attended these services where the gospel of Jesus Christ was proclaimed, where scripture was read, and, and our hope for the bodily resurrection of Christ was recognized. And I heard these powerful words of testimony for two lives that were very well lived. I heard words about their love for their family and friends, their passions for service, their gifts of hospitality, their wit and humor, I heard about their radiant joy and above all, their deep faith in Jesus Christ. Interestingly, interestingly enough, I didn't hear about their careers. I didn't hear about uh, their, their titles or how much money they had made or any awards they had won. If I did hear about an award, it was an award of service. <laughs> they seem to have gotten it, that the best gifts in life are relationships, relationships with God, relationships with Christ, with family and friends, and the family of God with one another. These were two women who I sat, and as I reflected, who lived the values of Jesus, who lived the values of Jesus. One of them loved hosting people uh, and cooking for them, and she was known to ask anyone who called or anyone who stopped by, have you eaten? And can you stay for lunch? More often than not, people responded, oh, no, 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 I don't have time. I don't have time. Have you eaten? And can you stay for lunch? How many times have we said, no, I don't have time today? And she would respond, well, you got to eat. You might as well stay and eat with me. Here's what she knew about a good home-cooked meal and a shared table. It's that real friendship can happen there. You've experienced this, real connection, and sometimes, oftentimes, real transformation. To slow down, to share a meal, to remember your humanity. We've all got to eat. In an amazing way, food can bring people together from different walks of life and different backgrounds, tear down barriers even, because we're all hungry. We've all got to eat. This is something Jesus knew very well. And in fact, this is the next value that we're going to talk about today. 
If week one was friendship, today the value of Jesus is food. Know that? Yeah, food. Something Jesus knew really well. We could even call him a foodie. Jesus, the original foodie. <laughs> and the, yeah, it's fine. You can roll your my the house group back there is rolling their eyes at that one. It's okay. Do you know? In, in fact, the Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, eating is one of the most characteristic things Jesus does. Think about it. Eric Barreto is a Bible scholar and, and commentator, and he says this, when we imagine Jesus, what is he doing? Imagine, when you picture Jesus, what is he doing? For many, he is on the cross. Maybe you think of Easter and the empty tomb. For many, he may be preaching to a crowd on the hillside or on the mountain. For others, he may be healing the sick with the touch of his hands. For many, maybe he's enthroned at the right hand of God. But he says in the Gospel of Luke, however, Jesus is most often at the table. That's where we find him. That's where we see Jesus eating with people. And not just anyone, but like sinners and tax collectors, some cases the most powerful of the day. You guys, in Luke, he is found eating so much that he's accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. And a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That was meant to be like, you know, a dig at Jesus. That's just Jesus being Jesus, <laughs> right? He has found eating so much that people make a comment about it. Jesus shows us how to make a shared meal an opportunity for real connection. Remember, every value from here, from friendship and love, it's built upon as we go. The next one is food. There's more to it, I promise. Because at the table, you can build upon that value of friendship. You can see one another. You can share stories. You can listen. And oftentimes, the sharing of a meal can be life-changing. So our story of Scripture this morning is one of those life-changing moments at the table. And it comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Maybe another familiar story for you. But I want you to try and hear it with fresh ears this morning as we read from the Gospel of Luke. Verses, this might be, is it Luke 10 or Luke 19? Look, it's two different things. It's Luke 10. There we go. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save 
the lost. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You're probably familiar with the story of Zacchaeus. Does anyone remember the song from Vacation Bible School? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. (laughs) And a wee little man was he. But he climbed up in that sycamore tree. For the Lord he wanted to see. So eager... Was there, were there hand motions, Megan? Is that what I'm hearing? No. Okay. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> he was so eager to see Jesus through all the crowds that he climbs up in a tree to get a better view. Jesus sees Zacchaeus, invites himself over to his house. Maybe another value of Jesus. <laughs> invites himself over to his house. And Zacchaeus receives him joyfully. Now, you heard that they, I don't, who's the they, you know, did you hear that? Who's the they in the crowd? It's the people in the crowds that had gathered. They see that of all the people around, he stops, he talks to Zacchaeus, and he goes over to his house, and the people grumbled. Judgy. (laughs) He has gone to eat with a sinner. They call him that, a tax collector, and a sinner. Why do they grumble? What do we know about tax collectors right now? Anybody remember? They're rich. They're the enemy. Why? Oh, that was you. I didn't, I can't recognize your voice. (laughs) They overcollected. Yes, so they worked for Rome, collecting tariffs for goods for Rome, and many were known for overcharging. That's how they made their profit. But what's worse is that these were Hebrew people working for Rome and then cheating their people. So it was kind of this like, this sort of double whammy, double whammy of, they had this less than virtuous reputation. They were loathed even, not only for working for Rome, but then also for cheating their own people. And because of that, Zacchaeus is named as a chief tax collector and also rich. And so we can sort of deduce that he was participating in some of these behaviors. And he would have been outcast. He would have been loathed. He would have not been included because of some of the things that he was doing. They were excluded and hated and despised, this less than virtuous reputation, and therefore marginalized from polite society. So we need to know that there was a high social cost that Jesus pays in this moment for associating associating even with Zacchaeus. And the grumbling of these people really highlights. It highlights how radical Jesus' mission appears to those who have grown comfortable with social stereotypes and norms. The people had grown comfortable with these kind of categories. And so their grumbling really highlights how radical Jesus' mission seemed in this moment. For a tax collector and one who is a chief tax collector and rich, Zacchaeus would have have been seen by the people as sort of beyond redemption. Beyond redemption. But not to Jesus. Jesus notices Zacchaeus. I'm saying like he really saw him. Right? He sees him, and he asks to come over to his house. 
Zacchaeus joyfully receives him into his home. Now, hospitality is really big in this culture. And so when they say that he was invited to be his guest at his house, we can assume, and and know a lot of scholars say this, that we can be pretty certain that Zacchaeus at least fed Jesus. If you invite someone over to be a guest in your home, it might have even been that Jesus stayed, even stayed the night for a night or two. But at the minimum, at the very minimum, we would know that Jesus shared a meal with Zacchaeus. Now, we aren't given all of the details of that conversation. Wouldn't that have been great? About what they talked about and conversed about over the common table. But we do see how transformational this was for Zacchaeus. Because he has a change of heart. He, he changes his ways. He's committed to, to returning the money that he stole, to giving from his wealth back to the poor. And Jesus announces that salvation has come to his house. But hear me, this is not just a simple formula for confess, repent, be forgiven, and saved. While it is the pattern that you see, it's not just a simple formula for Zacchaeus. What Jesus does here is pretty amazing because he announces to all the crowds around, he he holds him up as almost exemplary as he blesses Zacchaeus and not just him, but his whole house. He blesses Zacchaeus and he announces to everybody around all the theys that had grumbled. And he says, this too is a son of Abraham, meaning a son of God. Jesus notices the distant outcast. He enters into friendship with him. And through that friendship, he is shaped into a true son of God. This is just Jesus being Jesus, y'all. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He values him. He loves him. He restores him. He shares a meal with him because all of this happens at the table in his home together. So I said the value today is food, but what this really entails, and this is from, uh, I'm sort of adapting this a bit from the book study that we're doing. Um, Anyone still welcome to join here for just a few weeks on Think Red by Larry Stess, talking about learning to love like Jesus. He covers a lot of different values that we're not going to cover all of them on a Sunday morning. But food, I think, this picture of seeing Jesus at the table really kind of captures two of the values that Larry sort of articulates in his book. And those two values are humility and dignity. Jesus humbling himself to the point of eating with anybody and everybody. And then we also see him model and honor and respect the dignity of all people because he's willing to share a common meal with them. So while we say it's food today, what we see Jesus model at the table is really these values of humility and honoring the dignity of all people. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to model as well. When you think about the humility of Christ, it's it's pretty obvious. You can think about it from Philippians 2. Henry Nouwen articulates it as the downward mobility of Christ and a world that values moving up in the world and upward mobility and, and earning and, and gaining and, and moving up and out, it's Jesus that models this sort of downward move from heaven to us to empty himself in Philippians 2 
to humble himself even to the point of death and death on a cross. And Paul says in that same passage in Philippians, have this mind that was in Christ. So he's saying, humble yourselves too. In a world that values your upward mobility, maybe choose downward mobility. Maybe choose seeing and loving people for being people. Larry says this, get your head around this. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, sets aside his power and his privilege and leaves heaven behind to have lunch with a leper. That's referring to the story of Simon the leper. But you can sort of fill in the blank there of this downward mobility, this emptying, this humbling of Jesus who came down from heaven to have lunch with a tax collector, a leper, Mary and Martha, a Pharisee. And it continues. It goes on and on. He has a meal with people at a wedding banquet. He has the last supper with his friends. My favorite may be the breakfast of fish that he has on the shoreline the morning after he's resurrected. He has a meal with his friends. All of these shared moments where we see these values of Jesus to connect people, to cultivate relationship and friendship, but to really see them and to honor the dignity of all people. Jesus affirms the dignity of those who are considered less than. He affirms the dignity of people by including the excluded into his circle of friends. He honors the dignity by asking questions about their hopes and dreams, by asking questions to discern their felt need. Before jumping in and fixing, Jesus asks and listens and hears and receives. And he shows us the way to do the same. What I love about this is these values of humility and honoring, honoring the dignity of all people, they, they show us how to be friends with those who are forgotten. It requires us to humble ourselves first. Jesus humbles himself to spend time with someone like Zacchaeus and invites us to do the same. Many of you know about, because uh, I've shared about it before, uh, about the cafe at the table in Portland. And that grew out of this mission that Larry Stess talks a lot about. But it grew out of his practice of listening to the neighbors in the community. He didn't just swoop in and, and fix things the way that he thought they needed to be fixed. Fixed but it came after many years of leaders listening and praying and befriending the neighbors and hearing what they thought the neighborhood needed. And they heard things like, we need healthy food. We need a place to go. We don't have a sit-down restaurant. All we have is fast food. And so from this kind of came this vision to, to open a restaurant that was pay what you can, meaning you can come in and pay for your meal at cost, or you can come in and eat and pay it forward and, and give more than what your meal costs to pay it forward to, to cover someone else's meal. Or you could come in and if you, didn't, if you financially couldn't afford to eat, you could put on a shirt and join the team and wash dishes or serve tables or prep food in the kitchen. That's how you could honor the dignity of all people. That's what they modeled in this restaurant of pay what you can. 
and it's been open for several years now, and there was a risk, there was fear involved, right? They calculated out how many people they needed to pay it forward in order to, to make it work financially, and they've done extremely well. I love when you talk to Larry, he says that we don't just do church on Sunday. We do it Monday through Friday at the table where people from the community come in and break bread together. Because at the table, we can humble ourselves to see the humanity of one another. We can honor and respect the dignity of all people. And we can see Christ show up and, and transform our lives in some pretty powerful ways. So your challenge this week, your challenge this week would be invite someone over for lunch or dinner. I know what you're thinking. I don't have time. Maybe that's what I was thinking. I don't have time. I don't have time for that. I challenge you to make time. Whether it's someone here, whether it's someone at work, whether it's someone that you think probably doesn't get invited very often, whether it's someone you see who's seeking shelter from the cold and just sitting, knowing they're unhoused, and they're sitting inside Salsaritas. That happened last week. Maybe invite them to have lunch with you and see what happens. Because everybody's got to eat. That's your challenge. Practice listening to them. Listening well. Don't just think about what you're going to say while they're talking. But listen. Hear their story. See them. And pray that you might see people the way Jesus sees people, noticing them and their needs and their pains and their stories. The biggest challenge and the challenge for me is to simply slow down. Slow down and remember the power of connection and friendship over a common meal. Sound good? Have lunch with someone and tell me about it, okay? All right, let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for who you are. We give you thanks for your love, for your friendship, for your connection, for the gift of food. Lord, help us to see it as the powerful opportunity that it is to connect with you.